0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: The believer in Christ is marked by love, marked by joy, and then peace. The idea of tranquility or freedom from agitation, a sense of rest and contentment, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And as we come to Christ and as we are being transformed by Him we experience this fruit of the Spirit.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 in a message titled, Life in the Spirit. here's Pastor Brian.
1: Here we are, and we come back to these verses, and I really want us to see this—just how important it is that we understand this this whole idea of life in the Spirit—that we actually are living in the spirit, in the realm of the spirit. And that, that is a reality that we, we need to be conscious of. So we're going to zero in on that today. But I want to also, I want to sort of break down the, the fruit of the spirit that Paul describes here. We looked at it more from the standpoint of, of what it is to bear fruit. And we talked about that, even the, the process of the vine and the branches and so forth. But today, let's, let's kind of look at each aspect of the fruit initially and then we'll, we'll move on to, to look at just the whole idea of life in the Spirit, and then we'll come to the application finally there as we conclude today. But, but remember, uh, up until this point, as we've come to this practical application section, we've looked at what it is to walk in the Spirit, and we looked at, like I said, the, what it is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so here now Paul you know, he he describes for us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and and so forth. And and what we see in Galatians here, beginning at verse 16 of chapter 5, and we see this, of course, in all of the epistles of the New Testament, is that there, there's the point where we are called to action, so to speak, where we are given the, the practical application of the teaching, because... God's intention for us in saving us is to change us, to, to transform us, to make us new people in him. And Paul, you remember back in the, um, the sixth verse of this fifth chapter, we looked at it where he said, circumcision avails nothing, uncircumcision avails nothing, but faith working through love. So circumcision is just a code word here for you know, religious ritual. And Paul is basically saying the the life of a believer in Christ is not about religious ritual, it is about faith working through love. Now at the end of chapter 6, he's going to say something very, very similar where he will say again, circumcision avails nothing, uncircumcision avails nothing. In other words, religious ritual is not what it's about. But there he says, it's about a new creation. And so this is God's intention that... It, through our faith in Christ, we experience a new life. It's it's the life in the spirit, and that, of course, is um, a blessing to us, and then it is also to be a blessing to others. The, the whole, just the, the power of the transformation that comes through the gospel is one of the great attractive features of the Christian faith. I talked to a man earlier today and somebody introduced me to him and I'd not met him before and he kind of told me a little bit, you know, he just introduced himself. And then I I just said, so, you know, what's your story? Where are you from? And and he just proceeded to tell me in a matter of just a few seconds. He said, well, you know, I was on my way to either um, prison or the grave and Jesus met me and changed my life. He would tell me he's an usher at another church. And I thought, you know, that's a a good way to describe it. On your way to prison or or, uh, an early grave is what he said. But something happened. He met Christ. His life has changed. And that's what we're talking about here, the transformed life. So the fruit of the Spirit is what that transformation looks like. So let's just walk through each one of these different aspects of the fruit beginning with love and noting that love here is the the Greek word agape now i think some of you are familiar with that word it seems like we used to use it more than we do today or it was maybe more common uh, some years ago but but agape is the Greek word and it's the very same word that we find in John 3.16, the most famous passage in the Bible, for God so loved the world, and the word love there is this word agape. It's a word that speaks of affection, goodwill, benevolence, and obviously sacrifice. It is often defined as unconditional love, and you've probably heard people define it in that way. Well, you know, God's love is unconditional love. And that's probably legitimate. But it's a love that is based in the lover, not in the thing that is loved. So the thing that is loved is not loved because it's so lovable or because it's so desirable or because it's so valuable or or because the lover is going to derive something from it. So it really is a selfless love, because when you think of it in that way, you know, so often the things that we love, and sometimes even people that we love, we love them because we derive a certain benefit from loving them. But this is not the case with God. His love toward us is not because he derives a certain benefit from it. God didn't need us to love him back. So It's not because he's going to get something out of it. He just simply loves us because that's who he is. And so that's the kind of love that Paul is describing here. Now, just so you know this, agape is a Greek word, but it was a word that was not common or or commonly used in the biblical period. As a matter of fact, it's, its most common use is in the New Testament. And uh, in classical Greek, you rarely find it. You don't really find it too much in Greek after the period of the New Testament. So it's it's a word that existed. It, it's, it's a word that was there, but it's, but it's a word that actually the Christians took and said, we're gonna take this. They sort of adopted it and said, this will be our word. And because it's not really common in Greek, you're very, very hard-pressed to find a clear definition. But what the Christian writers did is they took the word and they defined it themselves. And, and actually, if you wanted to get the, the definition for the Greek word agape, the best place to get it is 1 Corinthians 13. It's there that Paul actually defined the word. So that, that's, in a sense, it's kind of like the, the dictionary definition of agape, the best one possible is 1 Corinthians 13. Let me remind you of what it says there. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or proud or boastful or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. That's the NLT, so it, it's a little more conversational. But love is patient, and kind, and humble, and all of those things. That's the definition. So this is at the top of the list. As Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit, he begins with love. So this love is going to be working itself out through the lives of those who are the disciples of Christ, the followers of Jesus. So starting with love, but then he goes on to the next word, joy. And, and all of these words are, you know, they're pretty, you know, these are words that we know, we're familiar with. These English words have a, have a Greek word that they are derived from, like we just saw with agape. And sometimes the English word is not totally capable of expressing all of the nuances of the Greek word. You no, know, the Greek language is much richer than the English language and so sometimes uh, it's a little hard to take one English word and describe the Greek word but when it comes to the rest of the things here there it's all pretty straightforward so joy is the next thing that is on the list here and joy gladness cheerfulness delightfulness that's what's being expressed. So the, the believer in Christ is marked by love, marked by joy, and then peace, thirdly. Peace, the idea of tranquility or freedom from agitation, a sense of rest and contentment, that's the, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And as we come to Christ and as we are being transformed by him, we experience this fruit of the spirit both just as part of our own experience and a blessing to us but but as part of our you know the way we conduct ourselves which becomes a a blessing to others as well and so then next we have long suffering or patience same thing the idea here is to forbear with difficult circumstances, or sometimes to forbear with difficult people. The opposite of this would be a short-tempered attitude. So this is uh, that characteristic of being able to be patient with people and circumstances. And then we come to kindness, and kindness is—it's kindness is more a reference to the disposition of a person. And it's the attitude that shows itself in a willingness and desire to do the little things that will bless others. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an attitude, an attitude of kindness. But then the next word is goodness. And goodness is sort of a reference to what proceeds from kindness. So kindness is, is more the, the disposition, the attitude, goodness, goodness are the acts that proceed from that attitude. And then there's faithfulness or fidelity. And of course, this means that you are a a person that keeps your word, a faithful person. And then gentleness or the older translation reads meekness. And again, meekness is more of a reference to the attitude, while gentleness is more of the outworking of weakness. So both words fit here with the Greek word. But let me just say that meekness is not weakness. Some people have mistaken meekness for weakness. Or some people have even, you know, looked at a, a person who actually is weak in maybe their, their character or their demeanor. And they would say, oh, well, they're just a meek person. There's a difference between the two because meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And the Greek word here was used to refer to wild animals like lions or tigers that had been tamed. So there's nothing weak about a lion or a tiger, right? But when they had been tamed, of course, it was that strength that was there that was now under control. So that, that's the picture with that. And then finally, the last aspect of the fruit Paul mentions is self-control. And again, pretty obvious. Uh, The word here is used in the context of disciplining oneself as an athlete, also in uh, controlling one's sexual urges. So this is the fruit of the Spirit. And I love what Paul says here as as he goes through each one of these. He comes to the conclusion, and he says, Against such there is no law. Against such, there is no law. These these are the desirable traits. And as I pointed out previously, these are just aspects of of the fruit. They're all, it's one thing, the fruit, but these are all different aspects of the fruit. Now, fruit, I want to just touch on fruit again, because fruit, you know, there's, I think if there was one way I would def- describe fruit, and I'm talking about now my favorite fruit, so you can think of your favorite fruit, because I would agree that not all fruit falls into this category. For me, I have certain preferences, but when I think of my favorite fruit, I think the the best experience, or the best way to describe my de- experience with my favorite fruit would be delightful. It is delightful. In the middle of summer, when I cut open that perfectly ripe watermelon, and I dig my spoon right into the heart of it, and I put it in my mouth, and it just is like sugar. It is so delightful to me. And that that very experience, that very sensation, I mean, I can kind of imagine it right now. And... You know how it is. You you have one of those kinds of experiences where, oh, you just, you love this. And that is the kind of experience that really ought to proceed in relation to the fruit of the spirit, that there is that delightful thing that, that happens, that when you're When you're seeing the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in your own life, it's a delight to you. And when other people are seeing the fruit of the Spirit, that it is that same kind of experience for them. It is a delightful experience. So it's this fruit of the Spirit that God is working in us and wants to manifest through us. And so we are that fruit that he wants others to, to be able to delight in, that the fruit of that that transformed life that comes from the work of the Spirit in our lives. Now, when we think of fruit, and maybe I want to take you back to what we said in our previous study about fruit, one of the things that I emphasized was that fruit doesn't, you know, work to produce itself, right? Fruit is the outcome of this connection. As Jesus told us, he he is the vine, we are the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit. And so we emphasize that aspect of it, that fruit is, you know, it's not something that I have to work up. It's something that quite often is just the the overflow or the product of the relationship that I am having with the, with the Lord, that, that abiding relationship, that, that intimate relationship. But now there's also another aspect to it that we have to consider because there are times because of the reality of the, the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh because of that factor, there are times when if the fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest itself, it's going to manifest itself because I choose for it to do so. And I want you to understand that there's there's a distinction here. There are times when the fruit of the Spirit is just there. You're not, uh, apart from just your ongoing connection with Jesus, you're not trying to to bring it up it's, it's just there and you know we probably have had these kinds of experiences where in a in maybe a crisis situation you just have peace you can't even explain it it doesn't even make any sense to you and you're not you're not trying to have peace you just have peace well that's you know that's the fruit of the spirit or maybe you're dealing with a difficult person and anybody else would be angry with this person. Anybody else would want to, you know, strike out against them. But you just have this unexplainable love for them. You, you can't even figure it out yourself. You think, well, I should be angry at them, but I'm not. I, I just have such love and compassion for them. Well, that's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's, that's the work of God's Spirit in your life. And like I said, you, it's even sort of a mystery to you, but it's there. But That's not always the way it works, and that's what we need to be aware of. Because there are times when we have to choose to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. There are times when, in a sense, we have to sort of flip the switch in order for the fruit of the Spirit to flow. And let me, let me show you what I mean, because every one of these things that we just looked at, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, all, all the way through to the end, and in the context here of fruit, the idea is that they're just flowing, naturally kind of developing, but all of these things are stated in other places in the New Testament as things that we have to sometimes choose to... Engage it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, pursue love. So you see, here's a, an, an action now on my part. The love sometimes isn't just naturally flowing. I have to pursue it. I have to, like I said, uh, flip the switch for, in, in order for it to begin to flow. And the same is true with joy. James tells us to count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, a lot of times when we're in the midst of a trial, we're not all that joyful. But again, sometimes we have this unexplainable joy. But there are those occasions where I have to sort of flip the switch. Oh, wow, this is a trial. I'm not joyful. Lord, where's the joy? You got to flip the switch. And the joy comes then as you choose to be joyful. And the same is true with peace The same is true with kindness and meekness and long-suffering. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, there are those times when that other experience of peace is not necessarily there initially. We have to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And likewise, there are times when the kindness isn't there immediately. The meekness might not be there. The long-suffering might not be there. And so in Colossians 3.12, Paul says, put these things on. Put on kindness, put on meekness, put on long-suffering. So you see, there are times when I have to engage the will. Now, the, the fruit of the Spirit, remember, it's the Spirit. It's there but it's like, it's like a, a reservoir that needs to be tapped, and then the flow comes. So I want us to see that because if we, if we don't recognize that both of these things are true, then we might miss the, the, the opportunities to have the fruit of the Spirit when we really do need to have them But because we're thinking that it's just supposed to sort of naturally be there and it's not there, then we just kind of move on and say, well, whatever. No, I I need to tap into it at that particular moment. And so choosing the fruit of the Spirit. There are those times when that is how the fruit of the Spirit manifests. That's how the fruit of the Spirit flows from me because I make the choice for that to happen. Now, Paul says in verse 25 here, he says, since we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, we've been looking at just this whole topic of walking in the spirit, right? We started in verse 16, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And here, once again, we come back to that, uh, that call to walk in the spirit. But the thing that I want us to really sort of zero in on more than anything today is just the whole idea and the picture of what it is to live in the Spirit. This is what he says, since we live in the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? Well, that's who we are. We, we need to understand this, and we need to think of ourselves this way, and we, it would probably be good to even refer to ourselves in this way. We are the people of the Spirit.
0: For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Are you struggling to recognize the hand of God during difficult seasons of life? If you need a fresh reminder of God's presence in your present circumstances, or if you know someone who does, then you need to get this book. The Myth of Coincidence chronicles John Bonner's story of God's faithfulness and is full of devotional insights, scripture, and sections for reflecting upon how God is at work in your life. Dispel the myth of coincidence in your own story. Get this book today. The book, The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you